Today on Ag News Daily. Continue to move that number lower. And the reason being is that it continues to be, right now there's some concern that it's getting a little bit more drier in Brazil. And, you know, there's still a probability that we'll have a La Nina effect again. Good morning, listeners. We are September 22nd, Thursday edition of Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner Winterhoff joined virtually by Delaney Howell. Good morning, Delaney. Good morning, Tanner. How are you today? We're good. Today's episode is brought to you by Douglas Plant Health. To unharness your soil's fertility and maximize yield, consider Douglas Plant Health. Are you still out there in Tucson? I am, but I'm coming home today, and I was notified by my husband we're starting harvest today. So perfect timing, Tanner. It is just in time to run a sandwich out at supper time, right around on buddy seat or run the combine. Oh, oh, I didn't give you nearly enough credit. No, I get to run the cop. That's my favorite job. Green car driver is too much stress. I like running the combine. That's fair. I could see that. I could certainly see that. Well, the first piece of news that I wanted to jump in today is obviously the Federal Reserve's motions yesterday. So they released their FOMC statement stating that they are going to raise or did raise the basis by 75 points yesterday. The target is now three to three and a quarter percent as expected by most people, like we had talked to Delaney. The dot plot, though, shows that their terminal range for the end of this year is 4.4%. That is a full 1% higher than the original projection in June. This implies that there would be another 1.25% hikes between the next two FM FOMC meetings coming in November and December. So that is looking at targets here of another 75 basis points in November and another 50 basis points in December. This also shows them targeting a end of 2023 figure at 4.6, which would suggest another 25 basis points hike in February, pushing rates to continue to grow the fastest rate of growth ever in the history of the Federal Reserve. Yeah, Tanner, I actually read a story that said in 2023, their 19 dots would take rates even higher than that, 4.75 to 5% next year. Yeah, that's the unclear portion. Obviously, they the, the Fed chair in his announcement yesterday gave a pretty clear indication of what the rest of 22 looks like. But now there's a lot of speculation around how aggressive does 23 get, considering the inflation figures really haven't slowed down yet. And that's what their target is to stifle that. Absolutely. But something that has slowed down has been retail fertilizer prices, although they came in mixed for mid-September here. Um, according to DTN's retail fertilizer tracker for the second week of September, five of the eight major fertilizers were lower compared to a month ago, but no fertilizers were considerably lower or higher. So they seem to potentially plateau here. And as we've discussed before on the podcast, Tanner, DTN designates a significant move, either higher or lower, as any Anything more than or less than, or excuse me, more than 5% one way or the other. Um, but five of the eight 
major fertilizers were just slightly lower, as I mentioned there. And the other three were slightly more expensive compared to last month. Urea, UAN, and anhydrous were those three. So I don't know yet. I think it's still too soon to tell whether or not this fertilizer market is ready to come back down, but we've at least seen things come significantly off the highs that we saw, Tanner. That's right. But if our listeners are concerned about fertilizer prices, just remember for three decades, U.S. farmers, largely organic, have increased their yield with the help of SP1 Classic. As fertilizer costs are soaring, supply chain challenges looming, DPH Biologics is expanding their access to their trusted biofertilizer to those with conventional acres. Their TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, growers can now replace up to 50% of their starter fertilizer by visiting dphbio.com to begin reclaiming their soil fertility. So looking at this, though, Bayer has announced a regenerative farming collaboration with Purdue Agribusiness. They're aimed at large-scale carbon emission reductions and creating a model for sustainable food and expanding the value chain. Purdue's entire grain network is going to provide support for this through the collaboration. Bayer and Purdue are creating opportunities for farmers to receive support in their regenerative agriculture journey, benefiting their land and hopefully helping them produce more environmentally friendly foods and ingredients for businesses and consumers. The announcement Delaney came as part of the foreground program. They will continue to shape the future of agriculture on a global scale. And this is one piece to that. So their head of global commercial ecosystems for Bayer stated here that the strengths Purdue offers combined with leading positions in agriculture for Bayer will make this partnership successful. So it looks like in August they began these discussions. Obviously they're looking at ways to produce agri-food and add value to that supply chain using their Scope 3 GHG emissions controller. Uh, they are looking to continue to remain a lead in the premium protein and agriculture market. Purdue Farms is vertically integrated and is looking at being a strong partner in this organization. So it'd be kind of neat to see where this is going. I want people to understand that this is not Purdue University. This is Purdue Agribusiness, not to be confused. Well, Tanner, I wanted to follow up on a quick story I mentioned yesterday, which is Russia is pushing forward to try and get parts of Ukraine annexed, um, allegedly allowing those citizens to decide. But we've also seen Reuters report that anti-war protests have been occurring in 38 Russian citizen or excuse me, 38 Russian cities, resulting in about the arrests of 1300 people. And that really calls into question in my mind, will some of those Ukrainian areas be willing to voluntarily go along with the, with the annex, seeing that so many parts of Russia are already protesting continued war annexed, etc.? Also, interesting side note, Tanner, airfare out of Moscow soared to above $5,000 U.S. dollars for a one-way ticket to just some near local foreign cities, um, Georgia, Finland, Ukraine, etc. $5,000 a ticket. I think that is crazy expensive just to get out of that war-torn area. And we also saw Ukrainian President Zelensky 
addressed world leaders earlier this week while at the UN General Assembly in New York, urging the UN to create a special tribunal and strip Russia of their Security Council veto power. They think there's risks continuing to go along with allowing Russia to have that power, and they're urging Western leaders to strip Russia immediately of that power, Tanner. So uh, continue to see the stakes rise here. Yeah, my wife had seen that headline last night about airfare going up uh, to leave Russia. So quite interesting to pay attention to that story. So I got a quick little headline here. We had talked about the Raven combined partnership with Case to create their autonomous sprayer and fertilizer spreader. Uh, they have now had farmers testing that. So Raven obviously is a subsidiary of CNH Industrial and they have their Trident 5550 applicator has this Raven autonomy in uh, technology on it. They went from development phase to testing phase right away and producers are beginning to give their first feedback. They're excited. Uh, Brady Fallman from Fallman Acres in Saskatchewan, Canada stated that they've been excited around the shop. They're looking forward to this for a long time. They were excited when it got here and now they can't believe how efficient it has made their farm. One individual can now tend this sprayer and spreader and the spreader will go about spreading itself. The autonomy is what is going to allow producers to continue to push forward in their goals to be more efficient. Fifth generation farmer, they farm around 10,000 acres with he and his dad, mostly spring wheat, yellow peas, red lentils. They deployed this trident on nearly 2,000 acres for fertilizing and said so far the process went fairly smooth. They, of course, had some hiccups, but that's part of the learning curve. By the end of their application, they said the Trident 5550 completed work on 400 acres without any interference. They started to see what they can do at this and where they can be more comfortable. So it's interesting to see here that operators are now putting this technology to work in the field, Delaney, and they're having some success. Well, Tanner, speaking of putting things to work, China put to work soy processing crushing facilities last week. Processed 1.8 million metric tons of soybeans, down pretty significantly, though, from the week prior, about 4.5% compared to the previous year's pace. And processors are just operating right now at about 62, 63% capacity. While we continue to see soybean exports remain strong, the question is for how much longer, seeing as they are significantly reduced as far as total capacity of processing goes, as well as the amount that they are actually processing. Soybean inventories are still at their tightest levels in five years and trending lower. But uh, especially, Tanner, with that soybean story we've been watching out of Argentina flooding the marketplace, China's going to have some more potential business partners to buy their soybeans from. So really going to be watching this thing here to see how much longer U.S. demand uh, keeps up. Yeah, before I jump into my last story for today, just to remind you listeners that for more than three decades, U.S. farmers, largely organic, have increased their yield with the help of SP1 Classic. As fertilizer costs soar and supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologics is expanding access to their trusted biofertilizer 
on conventional acres. Their Terra Trove SB1 Classic it is complete biofertilizer, allows growers to replace up to 50% of their starter fertilizer. If you're curious, visit dphbio.com to begin reclaiming your soil's fertility. Well, Delaney, it's Thursday, and I always hit the ethanol production news as my last piece before we get into the markets. Ethanol output dropped to its lowest level in almost 19 months, and inventories fell to its lowest level this year. So not a good combination, Delaney, but I would fear that might be partly due to the corn supply as we're starting to get into harvest. Ethanol sources, ethanol plants might not have been able to source their raw product. That is down 963,000 barrels per day on average. Uh, as stated, that was where it was the week before. It dropped to 901,000 barrels per day in that week ending September 16th. The Gulf Coast continued to plunge its production. The Midwest again was the highest area. The stockpiles declined to 22.50 million barrels this last week. That's down from 22.8, so 300,000 million or 300 million barrels. From the previous week, uh, certainly not good to see the lowest level of inventory since December 31st, Delaney. No, it certainly is not, Tanner, but I'm sure we'll see things pick back up here as corn starts flooding the marketplace with harvest time, getting ready to be in full swing. Tanner, we're seeing Friday morning opening markets here open fairly Strong across the board. New crop corn up about four pennies on the morning, opening at 689. New crop soybeans up about three and a half pennies at 1464. Wheat is the only thing trending a little bit lower this morning here at the open. Two and a half cents lower, still largely trading uncertainty in the Russia Ukraine area, trading right at that $9 mark in the December Chicago contract. When we take a look at livestock this morning, we're seeing red across the screen. December live cattle down about 70 seven and a half cents at a buck 49.97 november feeders down 72 cents at the opening at 179.60 and october lean hogs down about 40 cents on the morning at 94.02 and a half and tanner i know we're speaking to rabo bank today this might be one of our final conversations from from our progress show yeah, it's bittersweet but it'll be full of great information let's get to it All right, welcome again back to the Sukup Manufacturing Building here at the Farm Progress Show 2022. Second day, another beautiful day, and we are excited to have Andrik Payen. Did I say that right? That's perfect. Absolutely. With Rabo Bank, or is it just Rabo? Rabo AgriFinance. Rabo AgriFinance. So he is part of the Grains and Oilseeds Division, an analyst for the grains and oil seeds. So we're going to get a little bit of an update here. If you're outside of Sukup Manufacturing and you grow an oil seed or a grain, which is probably most of you, and you want to get some of the latest information, that's what we're going to cover here over the next couple of minutes. So, Andre, why don't you tell everybody here and those listening eventually down the road who you are, what you've done to get into this position, and then what your role is actually responsible for at Rabo. Sure. Uh, thank you, Tanner. Uh, well, it's nice to be out here, you know, being on the ground, talking to a lot of folks here. Uh, I mean, I've been with Rabobank or Rabo AgriFinance for six years now. Uh, my role really is to cover the grains and oil seeds market uh, in North America. So we, you know, we have clients throughout all North America, but we're also a global bank. And, 
you know, we, we have colleagues around the world, so we get a lot of updates of what they're seeing in the regions. So, yeah. Which is important because crops, whether they're oil seeds or grains, is a global product. It's not just grown in the United States. Correct. I mean, I, I, when you look at the U.S. globally and, you know, they, 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 well, the U.S. plays an important role in, you know, global exports and grains and all states. So definitely something to keep in mind. Absolutely. So when we look at prices as we sit here, obviously we've ridden a little bit of a roller coaster throughout 2022. We all know how 2021 shaped up for us. What are you seeing on the price side and maybe hit the grain specifically and then move into the oil seeds? Of course. Uh, well, I mean, if, if we focus on corn right now, I think really a lot of the conversation is where that yield is going to be. I mean, we, we had what the USDA published back in August, which I think every, everybody thinks that that yield is not going to happen at all. Uh, but then we have the recent crop tours that, you know, they put national estimates at 167. Uh, I think that, you know, when you look at the crop condition, where we are right now compared to other years, uh, you have 2019, we're in some in that range between 2019 and 2021, and that's a huge spread if you look at the yield, right? I mean, if you consider what was the official number there. So uh, I, I think the markets are kind of responding to that volatility because, I mean, compared to other years, you know, there's, you know, it's a mixed mix bag when you go around the U.S. and you see other regions, uh, you know, how the crop is developing there. So I think we're, we're, we're going to continue to see this volatility and really to have a good picture of what is going to be the end yield of the, this marketing year is definitely going to be, you know, until we harvest everything. So. Yeah. When we get a weekly report, obviously on crop conditions and then or starts with crop conditions, the progress report that comes out and that data lags a little bit. But like you said, we just got done with pro farmer crop tour. That was boots on the ground. We also DTN did their virtual crop tour, and both of those numbers came in under that projected figure. So how how about though we just got done talking about corn? Now let's move into the soybean, the oilseed side. What does price concerns? What are some factors there we need to look at? Well, I think when we look at the oilseed side, especially soybeans, uh, I'm a little bit less concerned about the yield on soybeans. Uh, I think if we get like good, decent rains and some of the regions in the U.S. have gotten nice rains, you know, that we can still expect, you know, some recovery there on the yield side. I don't definitely think that we're going to see what the USDA also had on the, on the soybean uh, side, but I think, uh, it's going to, there's going to be less pressure there on the soybean side. And I think if I remember reading correctly, Brazil is approaching the planting window for their second crop. Is that correct? Correct. So what are we hearing about acres and acreage for what their second crop's going to get seeded to? Well, uh, you know, look at Brazil. You know, the, this year kind of started with, you know, record crop. And the only thing we've seen throughout, you know, every month is that they continue to move that number lower. And the reason being is that it continues to be, right now, there's some concern that it's getting a little bit more drier in Brazil. And, you know, there's still a probability that we'll have an La Nina effect again for a third consecutive year. So I think, uh, you know, that's also building to the volatility that we see in the markets. So for our listeners, and then obviously the people hanging out here at Farm Progress Show, it, it's a concern because the majority of farmers have a row crop, have a, have a commodity crop that they grow. What is important for them to focus on internationally, globally, when looking at factors that might affect their market? Uh, well, I think right now, you know, it continues to be a conversation is the situation in the Black Sea region. I mean, 
I think the agreement that, you know, Russia and Ukraine, the UN were able to, you know, reach, it, it was really welcomed by the markets, but I think everybody continues to be really cautious about that because, uh, you know, at any time this thing could fall out, right? So even though, you know, we see Ukraine starting to export again some of the grains, especially corn, uh, you know, we continue to see corn prices going up. So to, to what point or, you know, do we factor that this it's been a good welcome news, but, you know, market, I think, continues to be a little bit concerned about that. Yeah, I think I had read, too, on the wheat side of things that they are looking at having a reduction of planted acres next year. And that was mainly because of, is it ground that's been devastated? Or what's the reason for the reduction in acres for next year? Well, uh, if you talk about Ukraine and wheat, I mean, when you look at where production of wheat takes place in Ukraine, it's a lot of the areas that, you know, are under conflict right now. And if you if you look at map of the production of wheat for Ukraine, around 50% of the production is actually in conflict zones. So, I mean, you know, it, it could be really challenging getting out there in the fields and start planting. Like, So I think that's one of the reasons really mainly that it's been, it looks challenging moving forward. Well, one of the last things I want to challenge you with, and probably going to be one of the most difficult questions that you get approached with on, on most basis is involving China. Obviously, we've got trade relations there that are important, especially on the ag commodity side. Uh, but we also have some interesting conversations being had with Taiwan. So what do you see the future of the demand for our commodities as coming from China? Well, I mean, if we take the situation as right now and you look at outstanding sales of soybeans, Actually, China is back to the same levels that we saw pre the trade war that we had back in 2019, I believe. Uh, so, I mean, to the extent that, you know, we've seen a switch from China, you know, not buying from the U.S., I think it's going to be difficult. And when you look at, you know, the global situation about corn and soybean production, I mean, there's only a few areas around the world that you can, you know, source these. And given, you know, the, the seasonality of production between South America and North America, I think China kind of has to, you know, has to buy for somewhere, and there's only limited options. So I think, yeah, we, we see an increased tension in geopolitics, but definitely, you know, uh, you know, there's limited markets for them. And I had a conversation on Monday with a, a market analyst that also demonstrated that the crops and the quality of the commodities that we have is far superior to a lot of our competitors, as well as our uh, adherence to trade laws. So there's a predictability when it comes to working with the U.S., Correct. I, I mean, you know, that's, that's always been the conversation that the U.S. is a rel- reliable supplier of grains. And I mean, you can talk about Mexico with buying from the U.S., like other parts of the world, Japan. I mean, big customers that, you know, the infrastructure is there. Uh, for example, there's conversations about whether Mexico would import more from Brazil or not. But the reality is that all the infrastructure and, you know, like just calling, you know, their clients in the U.S. and suppliers and be like, hey, I need corn or soybeans. And, you know, we get it fast. So I, I think that is going to always help the U.S. That's great. Well, this has been a pleasure to have you pop over here to the Sukup booth and give our listeners and attendees a little bit of an insight on the market. Is there anything you'd like to close out with before we wrap up? No, I mean, I thank you for having me over here and, you know, happy to be here. If people want to have a conversation with you, are you taking off today or will you be around tomorrow as well? I'm taking off today, but I'll be sitting here for a little bit. So. Awesome. Well, thank you again. It's been a pleasure of having you on. Thank you.
Well, there you have it, Delaney, another great source of information. I encourage people to attend those trade shows. It doesn't necessarily have to be all about the sales, but there is a vast amount of information if you just ask the right people the right questions. Absolutely, Tanner. We're going to continue asking the right questions this week. Next week on the podcast, we're almost a Friday. I've already forgotten, but folks, be sure to subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts. And Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go. 